This is the Hack Your Wealth Podcast, episode 66. Welcome to the Hack Your Wealth Podcast, where we teach wealth building hacks for lawyers, engineers, and MBAs. I'm your host, Andrew Chen. All right, thanks so much again for tuning into the podcast. For today's episode, I invited another guest to come and share their tips and strategies and insights with us. So before we jump into that, as always, I want to invite you to join the private Hack Your Wealth Facebook group. You can access that at hackyourwealth.com slash FB. Definitely encourage you to join us there. It is a place for us to connect, have a two-way dialogue. I'm in there every single day, often multiple times a day, and I try to respond to every question and comment there. And it's a place where people can ask about financial independence, early retirement, tax strategies, real estate investing, side business income, online income, career transitions, career advice, or just ask about whatever's on their mind related to personal finance or career-related issues. Definitely encourage you to check that out. It's a great, friendly, helpful group of people, and we would love to have you there. Again, hackyourwealth.com slash FB. All right, let's jump in to today's interview. My guest today is Phil Kessler. Phil is a tax lien investor who has extensively researched the tax lien investing laws in states including Florida, Maryland, Arizona, New Jersey, Colorado, and Texas. He's been investing in tax liens since 2013, focusing primarily on Florida, but also investing in Arizona as well as Maryland, where he's originally from. Incidentally, Phil says he originally learned about tax lien investing from his mother, who practiced law as a tax lien foreclosure attorney. Phil also creates educational content about tax lien and tax deed investing for PropertyOnion.com, a website that provides information about foreclosure and tax deed auctions. He's known on the website as the tax deed professor for his expertise on the subject. Phil, thanks so much for joining us today to share insights and tips on tax lien and tax deed investing. Yeah, my, my pleasure, Andrew. Thanks for having me. I would love to start out just by learning a little bit more about your background. I, I know, you know, we were talking earlier that uh, you kind of developed this interest first from seeing um, uh, your mom's law practice, but how did you get in, interested in tax lien investing and, and really get into it? Yeah, no, so it's, it's interesting. Um, my my mother was a tax lien foreclosure attorney in Baltimore City, and um, so the the term had been thrown around my household growing up. It was something that I was familiar with, but I didn't really take an active interest in until much later. And so, in about 2010, I had a friend, um, 2011 maybe, a friend named Jay, a uh, good friend still to this day, who was buying tax liens and, uh, you know, when I would see these checks when I was over his house from counties and I was wondering, you know, so uh, it kind of came full circle and uh, he started teaching me how to do it. Um, uh, interestingly enough, the, the first tax lien I ever bought was um, I did no research on, no due diligence. Uh, and it was on a, uh, uh, in a graveyard, it was six plots in a graveyard. Uh, and so I showed him what I purchased and uh, he's like, yeah, no, you're, you know, you're kind of SOL on this one. And it was still to this day, the fastest I've ever been paid back on an investment. <laughs> cool. The irony of that. Um, yeah. Okay. So before we jump into the meat and bones, I have a lot of questions I want to ask about this asset class, but um, high level, just to level set for folks, how does tax lien investing work? How do investors make money through tax lien investing? So um, I try to uh, I try to have people think of it um, like you're you're a bank lending money, right? So um, 
people use the terms tax lien and tax deed interchangeably, and they're not. They're they're completely different things. So we're we're going to focus on tax liens for a second. So uh, a county has a budget, right? County needs fifty million dollars a year to pay salaries, to pave roads, and they earn most of that money through property taxes. So let's say they budget for fifty million dollars in property taxes coming in. Well. Uh, come you know uh, March 31st when everything's due, uh, only 35 million has come in. So there's this outstanding 15 million dollars that they need to get paid on. So what they're going to do is sell the tax debt. Um, you, you as a tax lien investor, you are essentially paying the tax debt for the property owner um, under certain terms and agreement that are preset. So the term may be two years, right? And the in the agreement be 18% per year for two years. Um, the property owner can redeem any time in that time period, pay you back your money plus interest, uh, or uh, they are putting the house up as collateral. So you're essentially just a bank lending money in the amount of taxes that are due. Got it. So the essentially the return that investors make is that interest that the the uh, property owner, the homeowner is paying. Is that right? Correct. And, and occasionally, uh, you know, you're looking taxes are usually about 3% of the home value. And so you're looking at, you know, uh, best case scenarios, walking away with the house for maybe 10, 10 cents on the dollar. Got it. Uh, you alluded to this a moment ago. What is the difference between tax lien and tax deed investing? So tax lien, um, the word that should always come to mind is lending. You're lending money to the county for X amount of period, uh, for X amount of percentage. Uh, a tax deed, you are buying the property. So when I hear deed, you think dirt, you're buying the land and everything that sits on it. Uh, so it's just a cash purchase of property. Is the, the, the basic structure and mechanics of what the investment is the same though? It's just in one case you're taking title and the other you're, you're not? Yeah, so, sort of, right? So in, um, you know, there's basically two schools of thought, right? So there's the tax lien school of thought where they're getting their money now. Um, the tax deed, there are states, so California, for example, uh, they will let someone get taxed, they'll let someone tax default for five years in a row. Um, and after five years, they'll auction the property off to get paid back on everything. Um, the problem you run into with five years of tax default is that's five years that a county is not hitting their, their budget. Um, so Orange County has filed bankruptcy numerous times as a result, right? And so you'll see that in tax deed states where counties will be filing BK because they are just not meeting that, uh, uh, that budget requirement. Got it. So if I think about tax lien investing to your analogy as, um, you know, bank lending, you're just acting as a little mini bank, uh, but you expect to get paid back plus interest. In the case of tax deed investing, you're buying the property outright. Is the purpose to own the property or is the purpose to have the homeowner, again, pay you back um, the owed taxes plus interest and then you like, hand over the title back? You take immediate possession of the property and title. So that that is your property immediately. There are some states that they call redemptive deed states, uh, Texas, Tennessee, Georgia, where um, that you are buying the property. They give you something called a like a, a it depends on it, like a sheriff's title or a sheriff's deed. Um, but you they you, there's like a six month window where the property could, where the sorry, the the property owner could pay you all everything invested plus a certain penalty back. Um, and then they would be able to um, no, sort of no questions asked, reclaim title to the property? Correct. Yep. But that's state by state, it sounds like? 
it, it I, it's so funny. I was talking about this yesterday where, you know, when people ask questions about liens and deeds and to give a general blanket answer is really difficult because it, it, it's the answers always, almost always depends on the state. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So it sounds like for, with tax deed investing, that's, that's just like a foreclosure auction. You're actually looking just to get a cheap property. Maybe you'll rehab it. Maybe you'll rent it out. Maybe you'll flip it, whatever. But your goal is not really, it sounds like it's not really to get, um, to try to get the taxes owed paid back to you. Your, your goal is to actually just own the property. Is that, is that the right way to think about it? Yes. Yeah. You're, you're pay, you're paying cash for the property. Yep. Got it. Okay. Um, so when it comes to tax lien investing, then, um, kind of our original topic, why would an investor invest in tax liens to get real estate exposure uh, versus just investing in buy and hold real estate or even doing hard money lending where you can get, you know, really nice interest rate just by, you know, taking a first position on the property as a hard money lender? Why, why do investors invest in tax liens for real estate exposure? So um, you you had said the word exposure, and I think that's probably the minimal exposure, right? Um, you are getting invested in real estate for pennies on the dollar. Um, you know, and again, dependent on the state, let's take Arizona, for example, you, you might have a one in 10 shot of acquiring a property for just what the back property taxes are and say it'd be three or four years of property taxes that you'd have to pay. Um, you know, if you are looking for steady interest, right? Uh, so something, this would be good for like a retirement account. So like a self-directed Roth or, a, you know, 401 solo like that is something that might be really good to use for taxing investing. You can predict what you're going to be earning. Uh, if you do, if you're in a self-directed Roth and you acquire a property, you're not going to have to worry about capital gains, right? So um, it's it's all about investing strategy. I think for most people, it, it, it is one of the bigger problems is just cash flow. I don't have $300,000 to throw at a property, but I have $1,000 that I can throw and earn some guaranteed interest on, right? So I see. So is your philosophy around this, that this isn't so much real estate investing, this is just like, like debt, lend, like, like, um, like bank debt, um, invest, loan investing, real estate just happens to be uh, the collateral. Is, mm. is that how you think about it? This isn't really real estate investing in your view? Correct. Yeah. I, I think I have a, um, you know, after all these years, I kind of taken a step back and basically you're, you're just lending money, right? So it is almost like hard money lending, but just for property taxes. And there is always a chance that you can acquire a property. Um, but most of the time you're just getting your money back in interest. I see. So as between an investor who's investing uh, money as a hard money lender versus investing in tax liens. Is there, are there trade-offs for why an investor should consider one versus the other? Um, so with a, a tax lien uh, and a tax foreclosure, right? One of the, one of the huge benefits, and this is something that people have probably heard, you know, you hear buzzwords about tax liens throughout the years. Um, in a tax foreclosure, in most cases, any private lien is wiped out. So if there is a mortgage on it, if there is any sort of HOA uh, claim, all, all that stuff is wiped away, right? And so it would be a free and clear property with some exceptions um, if you do end up acquiring, right? So there, um, there are some benefits there. Um, again, it's, it's predictable. Um, it's just a really predictable investment. Um, I, you know, I don't know if there's much more to the trade-off than that. I see. So the the lean position is supersedes everything else. It sounds like. 
It does. There are a couple liens that are uh, equal, right? Like an IRS lien, um, but there are ways to get those taken off. Uh, so there are a few small group of liens that are equal to a, a super priority lien, like a tax lien. Got it. How are interest rates for tax liens set? And are, are there maximums that are they statutorily set? Um, you know, so it is uh, state by state. Um, so Florida offers 18%, and so does New Jersey, uh, Arizona is 16. The highest you're going to see is, is uh, for tax liens would be Maryland. There's a county there that offers 24% for six months. Um, the lowest is probably 8%, which is also in Maryland. Um, so uh, Maryland's the only state where each county does their own interest rate. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's usually set by the county. I see. So that that is a fixed interest rate that that is the rate you will get if you if you purchase the lien or do these things get bid down by at yeah. auction? Good good question, right? So so we have different auction types. Um, you have something called a premium bid auction, um, and a premium bid is where you're bidding up the dollar amount of either. <clears throat> so let, let's just see a general example: New Jersey. Um, or, or Colorado. So your Colorado's interest rate is pegged to the federal uh, reserve, the Fed reserve interest, like the prime rate, right? So uh, nine points over whatever prime rate is. Um, so uh, to purchase a lien in Colorado, you are paying a premium for that lien, right? So if it's a $300 lien and you're willing to go, uh, say, 6% over, uh, then you'd be going to $318. Um, that would be your maximum bid on, on that, right? Um, so you'd be paying up. Now, in other states, you are bidding down the interest rate that you're willing to accept. So they offer 18% in Florida, but that doesn't mean that's what you're going to get. Um, in fact, you know, and we can, we'll probably get into this later about how banks just dominate the Florida auctions. They bid everything down to one quarter of 1% interest. Um, and there's a reason they do it, but, um, you know, so they're very, very competitive in Florida, but bidding down interest is, is another big one you'll see. So I see. So I guess there's, it sounds like there's a statutory rate, but that rate is probably not what you're going to get. It's probably going to get either bid down or the you'll pay more for the lien, which effectively bids down the interest rate as well. Is there a place where investors can see uh, like a list of the statutory rates, at least the the like the book value, so to speak, of the of the state by state or county by county rates? Is there like some resource that they can look up what the rates are? You know, I think a, a National Tax Lien Association, the NTLA, might have it. Um, uh, it, you know, if not, I'll, I'll send you uh, after this, I can send you, I have a reference guide that breaks down every state's interest rate, redemption period, and general foreclosure rules. I can send it to you and you can put it on your website. Got it. Yeah, that would be helpful. I, I would love to link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, cool. So so during auction, investors, it sounds like are competing to see who is going to accept the lowest rate or bid the highest premium. What are the typical yields that investors can like actually realistically expect in terms of upper and lower bound? Uh, and does it vary from county to county, state to state? It, it does. And so so Maryland, for example, Maryland does something uh, interesting, too, where they do a, a premium, but it, the premium isn't paid on the front end. You're buying the tax lien. So if someone owes $1,000 in taxes, you're buying $1,000 taxes and you're getting 24% on that money. Um, however, what you're bidding on is if 
that property were to go to foreclosure, how much you would pay for the property to foreclose on it, right? So you, you can get the straight up 24% for the back taxes, but if it gets to foreclosure and I'm willing to pay, say $40,000 for that property and you're willing to pay 55, you're gonna win mm -hmm. that tax lien and you're still only gonna pay $1,000, right? Mm, I see. So there, there's like different structures. Um, what, what drives the differences between um, actual rates of return between counties and states? Uh, given that like if there's, I imagine if there's large differences between uh, two states, for example, or even two counties, um, investors will flow to the one, will quickly flock to the one where they can get a higher return. And over time, I mean, tax lien investing isn't new. So over time, I would imagine these things like more or less smooth out. So you can't find really rich arbitrage opportunities. Is that is that not correct? And there actually is a lot of inefficiency where there is arbitrage opportunities. So, so yeah, so uh, it, it's interesting. People actually chase the better real estate market. So for example, in, in Arizona, Maricopa County is where Phoenix is, and they may have a million investors at that auction and they bid down the interest rate and everything of significant value goes for one or 2% or something like that. Right. Uh, but then you go out uh, into rural Arizona to like in a place called like Apache County where there's nothing there and you can get six, seven, 10% on your investment and still have it be on a really secure uh, property. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things uh, state by state is uh, the, the best way that I can, I can answer it. Uh, you know, if we focus on a specific state, it's the easier to give a, a more, exact answer yeah i guess um i'm trying to just understand like why um maybe even in your example that you just gave or m maybe like more broadly if you could comment on like why this happens why, why this phenomenon occurs where either way it's a super secure investment why wouldn't capital chase the higher return um i uh that's a great question. Um, they do. Uh, they do just, um, they invest everywhere, right? And so, so, and I'm just going to use banks as an example. Banks invest practically everywhere, um, right? Banks are really fond of Florida because there are certain laws in Florida that um, help them make sure they're going to get their investment back. And so, in Florida, no matter what, um, if you bid on if you bid anything above zero percent, you're going to get a five percent penalty on your money. The majority of tax liens pay back within 90 days, right? On on single family residential, the majority of them pay back within 90 days. And so, if you and I, you or I, take ten thousand dollars and we go to this auction and uh, we win our tax liens, we might get a five hundred dollar return on our investment in a Florida auction. But banks have significant capital to throw. They can throw $100 million at these auctions. Uh, I think last year, there's over a billion dollars in, in tax liens in uh, Florida for 2020. Um, so they can throw $100 million at one of these auctions and still earn $5 million in you know 90 days, right? And, and so it's just the, the quantity of money that they're getting versus the percent, the rate of return. I see. Is the right, I want to talk, I'll talk about the bank thing in a moment though, but uh... It sounds like, is it is it accurate to say that in the large metro areas where you have quality real estate assets, there just tends to be higher volume of 
um, tax liens at auction. So there's just it's like going to a supermarket rather than your corner grocery store. Yeah, is that but, is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, no, absolutely, and especially the you know think of it, they can get more money invested in one tax lien on. So a twenty million dollar property might have uh, a three hundred thousand uh, dollar tax lien attached. They one click of a button and they can get $300,000 invested instead of buying all these smaller investments. Makes sense. Um, why do banks, you know, invest at such scale? Like they're in the business of, you know, making deposit loans and, you know, issuing mortgages. It doesn't strike me that tax lien investing is their core competency. Why do they do this? It's, um, it's just because they can get so much money invested, get a quick turnaround on it. Um, there's a couple of banks that are really big in tax lien investing. Um, Capital One, huge. I don't know. Capital One offers a pretty good uh, interest rate on their savings account um, relative to what the standard, maybe the standard's like 0.02. That give the, I believe they give like half a point uh, a year, which is again, not very much, um, but they're able to get 5% on all this money that they're investing in, say, uh, uh, Florida, right? And so they can put $150 million in every year. Um, and and that's just it. it. It's not their money and there's no limit to the money that they use. So while they are giving out loans and they're doing this, they've still got more money to to invest. And so they're, they're, it's just another avenue to make money. Got it. What is the typical payback period or duration that the homeowner has to pay back uh, taxes and interest? I think you mentioned like an example of like 90 days. Are the Payback periods statutorily set, or are they negotiated at auction? They're they're statutory. So um, on average, I'd say eighteen to twenty four months uh, is the maximum. That's where after that period you can initiate a foreclosure. Um, on average, you'll see it around there. The shortest is six months. Uh, the longest is three years. I see. Um, and do is it t- typically the case that the lien actually gets paid back faster? Um, than the statutorily allowed amount, or is it all over the board? Um, I, I'd say it, it is all over the board, but in general, they usually pay back rather quickly, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the higher the value, the typically the faster they're going to pay back. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was a lien. I, I found one on an equestrian center in Palm Beach County this year. Uh, it was a four hundred thousand dollar tax lien. Property is assessed at like, you know, $30 million or something, and they paid back within 24 hours. They had to pay that 5% penalty. So $20,000 they had to pay for a 24-hour period that they were late on their taxes. Oh, is the penalty or the interest rate, is it not um, prorated by day? Is it actually so, just, it is just the amount it is? It, so so the penalty penalties are in, are are on day one right so a pen, penalty is attached day one and then in a, in a thing in, in another column you have this interest rate that's accruing right and so let's say it, it is prorated uh, annually so if they were getting 18 percent it would be say one and a half percent a month and so you have the five percent penalty in one column and then you have one and a half three four and a half and then when you get to month four and you're at six percent interest then that penalty is wiped out so it's whichever is higher at the time Got it. I see. Okay. Got it. Um, I was curious, like the payback mechanism is the, is the payoff of a tax lien always done in a lump sum uh, on or before the, like the due date or are there like periodic coupon payments along the way? And, and what determines the, the payment structure? 
Um, so I believe, and, th- and this is a state to state, but uh, I believe they can make payments along the way. You're not going to get a partial payment from the county. The county won't pay you until you're paid in full. You're going to earn interest on the full amount until it's paid in full. Got it. But but the sounds like whether it's uh, whether the cash you collect is all in a lump sum or spread out over time, that would be state by state. Uh, it's, it's always going to be in a lump sum. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, I, I see. Um, I'm thinking from the, from the property owner standpoint, they can maybe put money towards it, uh, over a period of time, but they are not going to stop charging interest on the full amount until it's paid in full. I, I see the, you as an investor would get your money all in one lump sum. Is Correct. That what you mean? I see. Um, when you buy the lien, though, isn't your relationship directly with the homeowner, or is there some intermediary servicer that um, that would collect periodically from the homeowner, but then withhold the payment to you and, until you know they can pay it out as a full lump sum? So it, it is. It's done through the county. In fact, in most places, uh, it, it's illegal to reach out to the property owner for you to have any contact with them. Um, some places it's all, it's done completely anonymous. Um, so it's always done through the County. They have to pay the County. Then the County cuts you a check. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, I've also heard that tax liens do expire. Uh, and at that point, you you know, well, it'd be great if you could comment, like, why do these things expire? Do all your lien holder rights as an investor expire once the, the lien itself expires? Yeah, you've you've done some research. Yeah, so there there is a it's like any other law. So there's there's a statute of limitations. Um, I've seen so Maryland it, it's only two years, right? That's always just the fastest, right? Uh, so two year statute of limitations uh, can be as high as fifteen years in say Colorado. Um, but um, these um, you do you so if you're invested in a tax lien when it expires, then you are losing any rights that you have to foreclose on that property to ever get paid back. Um, the, the biggest thing that you want to do when you purchase a tax lien is make sure, like, if I'm given the opportunity, will I pursue a foreclosure on this? And if the answer is yes, then you can purchase that tax lien. I see. The expiration date, I think, I, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think should necessarily be after the due date that the homeowner has to pay, right? Because you need some time to be able to foreclose if they miss the due date, right? Correct. You usually have a significant amount of time to foreclose, yeah. Got it. So counties imposing expiration dates on investors, is the purpose of that just to you know make sure that these cases close out, that they're not lingering or like... I haven't heard of an investment like this where there would be an expiration. All your rights expire. That's what I'm trying to understand the motivation behind it. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, that's a good question as to why they have a statute of limitations. I, I mean, I can tell you um, what's so fascinating about those statute of limitations. So let's say I own a property in Florida and every year I don't pay my taxes and every year somebody buys the tax lien on my property and that cycle continues. It will continue like that for the next 100 years and I will never have to pay a penny in property taxes. It's not until someone initiates a foreclosure that I'm in any real threat of losing my property or having to pay. And I'll only have to pay the maximum would be the last seven years because everything after seven years would expire in Florida. So uh, it's a really, really weird situation. And again, it is state dependent, but um, 
yeah, as, as far as why they do that, I, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you why. Got it. Uh, but if you're a lien holder and the homeowner has failed to pay the lien by the due date, they, the, the investor will foreclose, right? They, they won't miss the opportunity to foreclose, right? You'd be surprised how many I see go unforeclosed. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's a really simple process um, in Florida. So there, there are two types of foreclosures. There's an administrative foreclosure, which is a, uh, you know, it's paperwork. You pay a couple fees to the county and they, they just do it through the county clerk's office. A judicial foreclosure is a little bit different where you're hiring an attorney, they have to appear before a judge, et cetera. Um, and so uh, depending on the foreclosure type, an administrative foreclosure, I mean, you can do it. I could foreclose on a property in 30 seconds on my computer um, or at least initiate that foreclosure. There's certain steps they have to take, um, but it's usually a pretty, pretty simple process. Why would an investor neglect to foreclose? Is, is it just forgetfulness or is there some... I don't know, there, coordination costs are trying to avoid. There could be some due diligence that they didn't do prior, right? So for example, let's say uh, we found a vacant lot that we liked and we said, you know what, we, we could see maybe building here or whatever. And so the tax lien on it is $200 and uh, that's what they have to pay in taxes every year. Maybe the assessed value is 10,000. Well, when you foreclose, you have to pay all outstanding taxes on a property. And so when we get to that foreclosure two years later, we see that there's four years of prior taxes outstanding. And there was a single family residence there and they were, the taxes were $3,000 a year for those previous, say, five years of taxes. Well, then all of a sudden our foreclosure cost is going to be like, you know, I don't know, $30,000 for a lot that might be worth 10 grand or something like that. So that is an example. It's an extreme one, probably pretty rare. The only other thing I could think of is maybe like natural disaster. Right, you're you're paying three thousand dollars for a tax lien, and you know uh, maybe your total cost of your foreclosure might be ten thousand dollars, but a hurricane came by and wiped out the house, um, and so it's just not worth it then. Right, exactly, it just wouldn't be worth chasing it. But in most, in ninety nine percent of cases, it absolutely makes sense to go, to do it. Gotcha. Okay, cool. I'd love to shift gears and talk a little bit about the due diligence process. Could sure. you explain and walk us through kind of the checklist of how you analyze and do due diligence for a tax lien deal. Uh, sure. For example, like what kind of analysis do you do on the property itself, the neighborhood, the environmental risks, existing liens on the property, uh, recent tax sale comps, the expiry date, et cetera? Yeah. Um, so, th so that's, that's pretty good. I, um, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the property appraiser, right? So you want to learn to navigate public record like it is um, secondhand, right? Second nature, right? So you just, I go to, there's a website that I use called uh, Net, Netter Online, N-E-T-R online.com. And they basically, you click on public records and it shows you a map of the United States. You click on the state and then it lists all the counties. And then it pulls up all of the public record websites for that county. So the property appraiser or assessor is the one that's going to tell you what they're taxed on, square footage, beds and baths. Um, something that's really important to look into is the sales history on a property. Um, you know, because you can get into some weird title issues if like you just look and you see the last five sales have been like quit claim deeds, right? That could be sort of shady, you know, you know, it could be a clouded title. Um, 
mainly what I'm looking for, and, and you can use search criteria when you get into an option, you can apply search criteria to the properties that you're looking for. I want to find um, single family homes. I want them to have no outstanding prior taxes. Um, I'm looking for an assessed value, maybe starting at a hundred thousand and going up. Right. Um, and I want there to be a certain ratio of which in most cases it's, it's something that's just standard, but I want there to be a certain ratio of outstanding taxes to the value of the home. Right. So I think outstanding taxes should be for one year should be no more than 3% of the value of the home. Um, as far as physical due diligence, I mean, for an investment like a tax lien, um, and again, this is state dependent. I don't want to say this as a general blanket rule, but if, if I'm saying Florida, there's, you don't really need to get eyes on the property. Um, you know, the property appraiser is going to have pretty current information. Um, yeah. I, I see. So it sounds like from what you described that the analysis process um, is, is not similar to how you would analyze like buy and hold real estate where you're really going into the property, inspecting the bones. Like it sounds like that's actually not as important. You're looking at these metrics and ratios. Is that accurate? That's, that's a very accurate. Yeah. Um, deed investing is the complete opposite is exactly what you were saying. Yeah. Com complete opposite side of the tracks. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you're a deed investor, since you're actually looking to acquire the property, then you would, you know, put on your, um, uh, your, your buy and hold hat or your, your fix and flip hat, I guess. A absolutely. Yeah. Do you ever do, dil uh, do physical diligence of the, um, try to like do a drive by of the property if, even if you can't get in the house or usually I, not? I do. I, I pay people to do it. Right. So, um, another, another website that I use. So here I'll, I'll use a service called velocity REOs and what they'll do is for $15, they'll drive to any property, take, uh, you know, 10, 15 photos of it and they'll upload them to your account. And so, um, you can do like a damage inspection from those photographs now for 15 bucks, that's easy. Right. And so if, if it passes that first test and everything's okay, then I'll have a realtor go out there. And so I do all this remotely. Um, so buy and sell properties in Florida without having to go there. So I've, you know, kind of built a system on how to do this. Um, and so then I'll have a realtor go and I'll pay a hundred, a hundred bucks to a realtor to go out there um, and do a full inspection of the property. Usually they can't get in. I'll try to have them look in the windows. Um, and, you know, the deal that I always make with the realtor is that you pay me back the hundred out of closing, right? So when we close on this property, you pay me the hundred back and then that's that's the deal. So they'll, they'll work for it. Oh, I, I see. Because they actually want to represent you if uh, you close, if you foreclose or? What yeah, so mean? if I acquire the property, I'm... I don't rehab. I might put some lipstick on it or something like that, but I'm not rehabbing. I'm, I'm wholesaling it to someone else who wants to do a rehab and I'll, I'll take 20% on my money. Um, we try to look 90 to 120 day hold time um, at max. And so uh, there's, you know, the, we, you have to go through quiet title action and that's going to take a period of time. Um, so in that time period, um, you know, maybe, maybe carpet, right. You know, yard work, things like that, but that's, that stuff's pretty cheap. And so, um, uh, the, the realtor is going to represent me there. Yeah. I see. It's, um, it's a relatively low chance that they would though. Right. Because most likely the lien will be paid back. But so they're, so I guess they're the way they're thinking about like, Hey, should I go 
do this drive-by for Phil is they'll either make the 100 bucks or, which is going to be the most likely scenario, they'll just end up with 100 bucks. Or there's a small chance that you'll end up foreclosing, in which case they could actually get a bigger payday, but they'll refund you the 100. Is that is that right? So yeah, with with one one exception. So when I when I have them going out there, this is maybe three days from the actual deed auction. So from the property, like basically the foreclosure auction. So we're three days from that property being sold at auction. That's when I'm sending them out there. Um, just in case there's, you know, I'm trying to minimize the chance that someone does pay back any fees, taxes, so they get taken out of the auction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Because uh, I, I hear that uh, those can actually get paid back quite rapidly as the auction date approaches. Is that right? So, so it, it is. Yeah, right. So if a on average, if a property's got fifty properties that they are scheduled for auction uh, a week before, they might have thirty five, and then the day before they'll have twenty, and then maybe five will redeem after the sale. They have till four p.m. the day of the sale to pay taxes. So. Uh, out of 50, there might only be 20, 15 or 20 that go at auction the full way. Right. You mentioned the realtor. Well, you, you might have them like peek in the windows, uh, but the properties, the, they generally are occupied, right? Did, did they ever get confronted? Um, so at, at this point in this process, everyone in that property has been served by a sheriff. They've been told to leave. There's notes po- uh, notice posted on the property. Uh, most cases, they are gone. There are occasionally, there are still people in the property. Um, if you do purchase a property and someone's in it, um, you know, you, you can't evict unless you're in a landlord tenant relationship, right? So you'd have to file something called an unlawful detainer. Um, you know, you, you do have immediate ownership of this property and you can just show up with a trash bag and say, get out. But I think there's a much more tactful way of doing this where, you know, listen, I have to, I have to quiet the title anyway. So, uh, if I give them three months here for free, I say, you don't have to, if, if you are paying rent, if you're renters, you know, stop paying rent, don't pay anything. I'll give you the next three months to just save your money. I'll pay it for a moving truck and I'll give you a thousand dollars for the keys. Right. And so you, you try to treat people as you want to be treated and you do this under the agreement that they're going to take care of the house for you in that time period. You know, obviously they're going through a rough time, so you don't want to make it worse. Right. And Um, I've had positive feedback on that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. How do you, um, analyze things like environmental problems or foundation problems you can't get in as, as as i imagine these could drastically impact the property's value as and in turn the max you're willing to pay for the lien certificate and not to mention that if you end up foreclosing it might create a liability for you if you need to if you're then stuck with being responsible for the costly maintenance or cleanup sure um so in- environmental that stuff is public record right so the the biggest thing that i'll come across is flood zones right so FEMA flood zone stuff. And so getting a property insured um, can be difficult. Um, you know, so environmental issues are, are one thing. The biggest challenge, the biggest thing that I'll see is going to be something structural. Um, recently, we had uh, a property that um, <laughs> the septic tank was just completely ripped open. It was like wide open. Uh, so someone dug it up in the yard and um, you know, it was in a place that it, we couldn't do. It was a, a big property. It was a couple acres. So we couldn't get to see the whole property, right? The, the realtor wasn't willing to do, because this is in a very rural area. Um, 
And so when you're buying these properties at auction, I, when you're looking at a tax deed auction, so if, let me put it this way, if a property is tax defaulted, it is safe to assume there's not a mortgage on that property, right? Most people's property taxes are paid through an escrow account in their mortgage. If there's no mortgage on the property, then you can make one or two more assumptions, right? Either A, they paid cash for the house or B, um, they've owned this property for maybe 30, 40 years and have paid off whatever purchase money mortgage they had on it. Um, it's usually the latter. So these properties are usually older properties. They're going to have some sort of issue. And so as a result in these tax deed sales, people are only willing to go up to say 60 cents on the dollar of what the property's worth, just to leave this cushion in case there is something drastically wrong. They're not going to be that far underwater. Um, in most cases, you're going to end up okay, right? Most cases, there's nothing wrong with the property whatsoever, like just minor, right? Uh, cosmetic, but, um, uh, you know, every now and then, uh, the very, very first deed I did on my own was a huge, you know, huge error. I didn't get eyes on the property before I bought it. And that was my mistake. And someone took a pickaxe and uh, it was a mobile home and they, took everything out as far as the floor, the walls, everything was just a shell of a mobile home. And so now that's why I have people drive by the house, not, not once, but twice. And, you know, during the day, during night and all, all that stuff. So um, I, I ended up getting lucky on that and breaking even, but uh, you know, um, you, uh, you, you take as much precaution as you can. Um, and you know, you have to get sort of creative, like, well, what could be wrong, uh, based on what's, what you're seeing physically on the outside of the property. Yeah. I, th that makes sense. I, I think, it, is it accurate then to say that you're not looking for the property to be a great property? You just want to make sure that it's not totally destroyed. Is that what you're looking for in the physical due diligence? Pretty much. Yeah. I, I'm looking for something that is marketable. Everybody needs a place to live. And uh, again, the majority of these are going to be older properties, right? Mid, mid-century sort of, that's what you're going to see a lot of. Um, and if it's rentable, sellable, livable, right? It doesn't mean you want to live in it. You're not looking for that, you know, uh, four bed, three bath. And, you know, this is there, it's going to be a three, 1,000 square feet in Jacksonville and you might pay 30 grand for it, right? Yeah. Resell for 45. So I understand that after you buy a tax lien, you're required to buy, or please correct me if I'm wrong, if this is inaccurate, but uh, I was reading online a little bit, that you're required to buy any subsequent liens because new tax liens take precedence over old ones. Can you comment on why or how this would happen? Is it due to a failure of initial due diligence? And how can you as an investor avoid this unpleasant surprise of having to pay up more capital to cover subsequent liens? So it is a state by state. So uh, so what you just referred to is in sort of New Jersey and Arizona specific. Um, so in New Jersey, any subsequent liens you are going to pay, they, you call that your roll up. Um, so uh, as the subsequent liens come out, the county will send you, um, and I can send you an example of one, um, it's called a subtax letter. And they say, okay, the subsequent taxes are available uh, do you want to buy them or do you want to do you go online? You literally pay the taxes as if you were the property owner and you can note it as a sub tax payment. Any money that you put in, you're earning the full statutory interest rate on that money. Um, there are certain penalties in New Jersey too, depending on the size of your investment, either two, four, six percent penalty on your money. Um, and it's cumulative. So if, three, if 
the the six percent you get when you break that ten thousand dollar threshold threshold. So if taxes are four thousand dollars a year, when you pay that third year, you get the six percent penalty. If that makes sense, right? So effectively earning I don't know twenty something percent on your investment. So um, I see. So that sounds like it's not due to a failure of due diligence. That's the way you described it. Almost sounds administrative. It, it, it's it's it, it's the standard, right? So when you think of the foreclosure process, you have to pay all the outstanding taxes. So instead of buying them, you know, paying them two or three years later where someone else is earning the interest on all that money, you might as well pay them as you go so that the foreclosure process is seamless. You don't have to send out multiple checks and you don't have to worry about any. You're just, you're paying those taxes. So when you get to the the time where you can foreclose that that instant, you don't have to really do anything else. And did I hear correctly that as you pay along the way, you're actually earning interest on your own money, which you paid in? Did I, did I hear that correctly? So you are earning interest on any subsequent payments, but you're earning the, the full statutory amount on those subsequent payments. So if it were New Jersey, you'd be earning 18% on any follow-up payments that you make. Um, in which you kind of reminded me of something else. There are ways to compound your interest one time in certain states. Um, when you file to foreclose, um, you start earning interest, you, you compound all of your interest once. So let's say we had $1,000 in taxes in Florida and uh, we're, we're just going to use around, we're earning 10% a year. And so after three years we're owed uh, on our $1,000, we're $1,300. Well, we file to foreclose, they call it a tax deed application. We start earning the full interest rate, which is 18% on 1,300 now, plus any other taxes that we pay. So um, it's a minefield to try and use a general statement. Like I said, using a general statement for any one state or for uh, for all states is really difficult. Got it. Um, you know, to your mind, so if I synthesize kind of the due diligence um, analysis process, to your mind, what are the attributes or markers of the ideal taxing investment in terms of things like property type or condition, characteristics of the lien, the met the, some of the metrics you alluded to earlier, maybe even rules set by the county or state. What's like the, you know, like the ideal taxing investment that you couldn't get better than, than, than this. Okay. So ideal taxing investment for me is going to be an older home, probably mid nineties or earlier. Um, retirement community, preferably. Um, right. So I'm thinking areas in, you know, Arizona, like, so Retirement communities, maybe you know, thirty years old, right? These are things that, where you spend a thousand dollars on taxes, you might be able to convert that into a property. Um, so we're looking at the age. We're looking sort of in the middle range of quality, right? We don't want we don't want a dump. We don't really want. We're not looking for a mansion. Just something kind of middle of the road, like I said, three bed, maybe one and a half bath, uh, thirteen hundred square feet. Um, so you're looking just for like an average house. Um, you're kind of, you try to maybe put yourself in the, the uh, if you see that the, that the property's in an estate or in a trust, right? That, that's usually a good thing because um, some people aren't pre prepared to deal with an estate, right? If someone passes away, um, there's a really significant difference between the estate of, you know, John Smith versus the John Smith estate. Um, if it's the estate of John Smith, that means it hasn't gone through probate. Um, that can be uh, 
that can be a good thing. Uh, or you, even the other way could be a good thing too, right? Just it's uh it's sort of multifaceted. You just kind of take a swing. I, the best thing to do is take a swing at a bunch of different liens. Um, and you know, it's like a scratch off ticket where, you know, you're, you know, when you lose, you're getting your money back with maybe a little bit of interest, but if you win, you know, it really is like a jackpot. Mm-hmm. Well, what about some of the, uh, lean characteristics or even rules set by the county? What are the ideal markers for you as an investor? Uh, characteristics, uh, I mean, I mean like some of the metric, like the specific metrics, like the size of the lean that you would want, et cetera, the ratios that you described. So um, I'm, I usually like that uh, thousand to 2000 mark. Um, I think when you start getting over that, the houses can start getting into a class of home that someone's going to be able to draw a loan against it to pay the taxes is a worst case scenario. And you wouldn't be able to convert that. Um, and this is, um, you know, this is sort of recent for me. Now I, I'll tell you my, my investment strategy has changed over the years. And when I started doing this for years and years and years, I went solely after the interest. So I would try to find a $200 tax lien on a $250,000 home because they felt that it was more secure. I'm definitely going to get paid back. And um, I would search for what they call over-the-counter certificates. Uh, so over-the-counter certificates is so if a county has 50,000 tax liens um, and maybe 40,000 of them sell at the auction, well, here's this 10,000 that didn't sell at auction and uh, they're going to offer the full 18% or 20% or whatever it is on those tax liens. First come, first serve. You just, you just buy them you know, uh, straight from the county website. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in those tax liens. And when you're looking at those, when we were talking and you, you would ask me about like metrics, what I'm looking for. Um, I would bet on the person. In other words, I'd look at someone's tax payment history. So if someone's had a tax lien on their house for seven out of the last eight years, and uh, every single one of them was paid within 300 days time, I would buy that ninth year because I would feel confident I'd be paid back within 300 days, right? I could, so I'm betting on the person and this could be a vacant lot even. It wouldn't matter. I'm, I'm, that would be a metric that I would look for. I see. Interesting. And are there any specific state or county rules that you particularly like or don't like? So if you're looking for interest, uh, Florida has a really, uh, they have really neat rules where, so instead of, so when you get to the end of the redemption period in Florida, instead of just foreclosing on the property, what you're doing is you're, I guess you're initiating a foreclosure. You're filing something called a tax deed application. And what they're doing is they're going to take all the money that you're owed, every penny, any penny that you've come out of pocket, all the interest, and then they are going to sell the property at auction and they're going to start bidding at whatever that number is. So if there's even remotely any value in the property, you're, you're almost guaranteed to get paid back, right? Somebody's going to be willing to buy that property for back taxes to make sure you get paid back. So if you're looking for interest, Florida's really good. On the other side of that coin, if you just want to buy properties for cash, Florida's also really good, right? So it, it, Florida's really neat in that regard. It's really investor-friendly state. Um, you know, let's see. Um, I, I do... I, I do like Texas. I mean, you know, Texas is something that's been growing on me more and more. They're starting to move online. It's something they've never done. But just this past year, there's been six counties that have come online uh, full time. 
um, and you buy a property for cash at auction, you're buying the, the sheriff's deed or the treasurer's deed, and uh, they give the property owner six months to pay you back your money plus 25% or you just keep the property, right? Um, you're, you know, there's the foreclosure, all that stuff's already done. And mm-hmm. so you're just either keeping the property or getting 25% on your investment in six months. Two things you mentioned earlier, I'd love to clarify. You mentioned ideally it's a retirement community and also ideally it's a middle, a middle kind of like a, a middle of the road home, not um, an obvious why you don't want it to be a dump. But yep. you also said, uh, you know, not a really higher end home. Yeah. Um, why, why for each? Why retirement community is ideal and why is uh, why um, not the higher end? So I'm, I'm thinking of this in terms, and this is very cold blooded, but you're thinking in terms of, so where are people most likely to pass away um, and not have an estate that's going to be able to pay off mortgages and property taxes and all that? And that's sort of like a middle of the road home in a retirement community. Right. So oh, what's most likely to convert to a property from a thousand dollar tax lien? Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, when is the ideal time to do due diligence on a property? You know, you mentioned many of these will be paid off even before the auction. If you go do it too early, you might actually invest due diligence resources where the property's already gone by by auction. Well, when is the ideal time to actually pull the trigger on due diligence? So there's there's two sides to this. So for tax liens, the due diligence should really take no more than five to 10 minutes. Um, You don't really need to look into title defects or anything like that for tax liens. Um, And it's all done from your computer. Uh, For tax deeds, ideally, because that's where you're seeing a lot of them redeemed prior to the auction. uh, I've got 30, they give you about 30 days to, to look at a list. Um, I create my list of, you know, likely properties two weeks before I'll revisit it a week later and I'll start doing uh, work on the title. So I pull my own title searches. Um, and also I'll go into the county clerk or recorder and just search everything I possibly can related to the property owners, any previous property owners, depending on the, the sale, uh, previous sales of the property, if it was a quit claim or a warranty deed. Um, and so I'll, I'll do that sort of that work, maybe, uh, a week to about three or four days before physical inspection is going to be about two, two days before the auction. I see. So when you were talking about hiring somebody to go take pictures, hiring a realtor for a hundred dollars, that was all in the context of tax deed auctions, not tax lien auctions. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Got it. Um, what happens if there's a mortgage on the property and you have to foreclose? I, I, I know you mentioned usually they won't, sure. um, but if there was, um, do you and you if you foreclose on the the property because of failure to pay back the the ta- uh, taxes owed, do you as the new owner take title subject to the mortgage and are therefore responsible for paying it off or? No. So um, believe it or not, these all any bank or really any lien holder, so whether it be a bank or an HOA, they get notice of this tax sale. So they're given notice of the sale 90 days before the sale happens at minimum 90 days. Um, they are given the opportunity to pay the taxes to become a first position lien, or they are forfeiting the right to have a claim to that property. Um and oh, so I see. Those mortgages, those liens are wiped out completely. So it sounds like then if you're a, a mortgage lender, you have a very strong incentive to pay the tax lien. Is that Correct. right? And they and that's why you see so many of them redeem the day before the auction is because the banks will wait to the last minute to try and scare the property owner. Like we're saying, we're not going to pay. We're not going to pay. And then they'll pay. 
Oh, wow. Wow. I see. Um, huh. So, uh, sorry. Could, could you say that one more time? You, you, you said that the, the bank will try to scare the property owner until the last day. So, what, what does that mean? And I'm, I'm thinking of the foreclosure sale, the actual tax deed sale. Oh, um, I see. Okay. And so the, the, basically the banks, the, the property is being auctioned off in four days and the bank's like, we're not going to pay it. You know, we're not going to pay it. And then eventually they'll pay it. And these are usually HELOCs or, um, you know, maybe second mortgages. Um, every now and then you'll see a purchase money mortgage in there where the property owner has just, you know, chose not to, uh, chosen not to pay their taxes through their mortgage and pay them themselves. I see. It sounds like purchase money mortgage is uh, rare. Yes. I see. Um, I know it varies county to county, state to state, but what are the, what are some of the kind of typical type of rules around communication with homeowners that investors should be aware of and make sure they understand in terms of announcing your you know tax lien certificate ownership when the expiry date is approaching, et cetera, and and how where can investors get up to speed on on such rules? Yeah, so this one's going to be really tough to answer as far as where they can find it. Um, but I can tell you it, it is very, it is state dependent. In Florida, it is illegal to reach out to a property owner if you own a tax lien. You cannot, um, because I guess you could collude with the property owner or something. I don't know what the real reason is. Mm-hmm. Um, in New Jersey, if you are foreclosing, you are the one, uh, I believe you are the one in New Jersey, you're responsible for reaching, sending a letter to the property owner. Now in places like New Jersey, where you're supposed to reach out to the property owner or Indiana, you know, you, you hire an attorney to do it. They know the time frames that they're supposed to do stuff. So you just hire an attorney to do all that stuff. Um, so uh, state to state, it just, it's totally dependent on the state. Um, you know, uh, so we can kind of circle back to this later. So one of the things that I do is I do one-on-one trainings with people. And so depending on where they want to invest, um, you know, we can focus on a specific area and all of the laws there. It's, it's just, it's hard, you know, you can Google state laws. I mean, honestly, the, just, if you, if you're willing to read the tech, like the, uh, the state tax statute, you can find all that information there. It's just a dry read, right? (laughs) Okay. Gotcha. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about the auction process. So according to the national taxing association, um, I understand something like 2,500 cities, towns, counties, uh, in about 30 states or so, plus DC, they actually hold these tax lien auctions. So where can investors see the list of cities and counties and states that, that hold uh, tax lien auctions? So um, there's a website called NACO.org, uh, N-A-C-O, and it's like the National Association of Counties, but something, you know, something. That, and so uh, New Jersey does it by township and there's 532 townships in New Jersey. So, uh, you know, it, you're not going to be able to, I don't think you'll be able to find that on NACO there, but um, uh, NACO should be able to refer you to say a county treasurer site to where you might be able to find the tax sale. Uh, the reality is that most of the tax sales, um, tax lien or tax certificate sales are run by one of eight or nine companies in the country. Uh, they, they run most of them. Um, the two biggest that you'll come across are going to be uh, Real Auction. Real Auction does Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Maryland, um, New Jersey, New York, uh, right? So the, the handful of them. Uh, the other one uh, is called Grant Street Group. And so I'd say between those two, um, there's, there's a handful of others, but between those two, I'd say those are the most popular. 
but they they're a third party running these auctions. I see. So to, in that vein, where uh, where do the auctions take place? Are they physical? Or are they only online? Most of them are online. Um, this is something. So when I started doing this, I remember there were 15 counties that did this online, um, and so. Uh, it's been interesting to see this progress. I mean, now there's, I, I, yeah, I, you probably nailed on the head. What there's maybe 2,500 counties that do it. I'd bet 1,500 to 2,000 of them are online um, completely. And is it like, I don't know, buying something on Amazon, or is there like a, a competitive process where you're seeing other people's bids and then you have to, you know, up the ante? Uh, yeah. So the basically there's there's two two ways right so first of all over the counter certificates the ones that are not purchased at auction that is like buy now okay check out like that's a really easy process uh the auctions depending on the auction format let's just say it's a bid down interest format um you just put whatever your lowest interest rate you're willing to accept is and then they use something called proxy bidding so if i bid one percent and you are also bidding on the same. So I'm willing to go as low as one and you're willing to go as low as 10%. I'll win that certificate at 9%. So one bid increment lower than the next highest bid or next lowest bid. Oh, I see. So is it fair to say it's pretty mechanical? Like there's not, there is a competitive element, but it's not like the way you would see, say, like you see in the movies at art auctions where everybody's like waving their flag or, or right. is that right? Right, correct. That that you you see that in the tax deed auctions, but for tax liens, it's everyone puts in a blind bid, and we're closing at four p.m. on this day. So have your bid in by then, and then you just know if you you won or you didn't. Gotcha. For tax deed auctions, are those different auctions than foreclosure auctions that happen on the like county courthouse steps, or are they one and the same? Um, so uh, it, foreclosures, that term is usually reserved for when it's a bank. Um, initiating foreclosure, um, they they typically work the same. There is this there's this hierarchy to liens because they also do so. Florida, for example, does tax deed and they also do foreclosure sales, right? Um, but you have this hierarchy to to the to the liens, and depending on what position that lien is in, if it's in a super priority position like a tax lien or an IRS, that would be like a tax deed sale. But a bank foreclosure would be a foreclosure sale. However, in Texas, they call tax deed sales, they typically call them foreclosure sales. Hmm. So again, it's the terminology is kind of, you know, murky from place to place. It's, it's hard again to put a general, but yeah, so courthouse steps, that's usually how it's been done historically. Mo a lot of places are going online though. Got it. Um, but if I heard correctly, the, a tax deed sale typically will be a, a different physical event than a bank foreclosure sale. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it will. Yeah. Um, with the exception. So in Ohio, they do both at the same time. Oh, I gotcha. Okay, cool. All right. Um, I wanted to um, kind of close by talking, um, asking a, a, a hand, just a couple of questions about tax lien funds. Uh, and sure. um, I, I was reading a little bit on the NTLA website that uh, um investment funds have become very active in taxing investing almost to the point, but they're chasing yield for large dollar amounts. So they, maybe they're going after larger properties, uh, but it is definitely making it more competitive for individual retail investors to, um, you know, successfully like for it to be worth the kind of return on investment. Cause you know, there is a due diligence cost to doing it and the amounts may not be very large. 
How do tax lien investment funds decrease the risk and effort required to invest in tax lien certificates? Um, you know, first off. So let me let me unpack that question. Sorry. So how did the how do the tax lien investment funds decrease the risk in and, and the uh, effort? So um, I imagine that if you wanted to invest in a tax lien, you could do it yourself, or maybe you could just invest in a fund that is doing this. Um, and so. I would think that funds have some built-in advantages because they have scale, maybe they can diversify, but I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on how, like how they actually um, decrease their portfolio risk and how do they, um, uh, I guess, achieve maybe due diligence economies of scale to reduce the overall effort, um, if that makes sense. Sure. And so this comes down to search criteria prior to the auction. So you can apply a filter to, so they can put a bid in and I'm not kidding to make it so easy on, on some of these auctions where you can bid on a whole page by clicking one, you just click the button and you say, I bid 0.025% for every lien on this page. And there's 50 liens on each page. Um, so they apply the filters, single family, uh, single family residential, uh, greater than 150,000 assessed value. Um, and they can just I really put those two things in and no outstanding prior tax, put those three things in and, um, you know, have that be, they, they, they're, they're minimizing risk by, by investing so much into these properties. Um, you know, that they could afford to have a few go bad. Exactly. And it is really difficult to get your money into one of these funds. There's a couple of private funds. Uh, 5T Wealth Partners is one that is uh, a private fund out of Florida that you could probably figure out a way to throw money into if you approach them. Um, but most of them are institutional and they don't want your money. They're just, they want to keep their money in there. Um, and that's going to be Capital One Bank, Ocean Bank, um, U.S. Bank, Wells Fargo, these are the banks that we're seeing really take down these auctions. And it's not even worth participating in the Florida auctions anymore, to be honest with you. The, the uh, tax lien, the tax, the tax lien, auction? lien, yeah, the tax lien auctions, the over the counter sales are, there's some real treasures in there. If you know how to, if you know how to search them, uh, efficiently, um, but the banks and headphones won't touch that stuff because the amount that they'll have to pay someone and man hours to look through those liens is going to, uh, you know, basically get rid of any profit that they would make by doing it, right? So um, you, you can really find some gold in those over-the-counter sales in Florida, but the tax lien auctions are not worth it if you don't have a really deep bank account. I see. So when you say that you invest a lot in Florida, are you mostly just doing OTC then, not, uh, not in the auctions? So historically, over-the-counter was the only thing I did in Florida. Now, currently, tax deeds are all I do in Florida. Um, oh, I see. I do tax lien certificates. And so all of the Arizona auctions closed out this month, um, and I was very active in those. Um, so um, I was active in Colorado this year. Uh, Maryland and is coming up in May. Florida auctions are coming up in May. So it's sort of an exciting time right now to see there's a lot of states that are having their auctions right now. You mentioned a moment ago that um, funds are not going to do the type of work required for over-the-counter lean investing because mm -hmm. it'll, it'll just whittle away their returns and profit. But the little guy who does that work, why is it, how is the little guy able to 
still, um, eke out a profit from that, I guess. So, you know, you're able to, so the way I started doing this and the way I'm sure a lot of people do is I would buy one tax lien a week. And if not one, if maybe two, but I would try to buy $200 in tax liens every single week. Right. So I was paid weekly, uh, nine to five. So I, you know, I'd get my check, I'd pay my bills, I'd put money in savings and whatever was left over, that's what I would buy tax liens with. And so you're able to earn one and a half percent a month on that money. So if you are investing $200 a week, you're getting $10,000 a year invested at 18% interest. Um, as that money comes back, you're putting it out with more money. Um, finding $200 worth of tax liens a week is not difficult. Um, you can you can usually do it in one, maybe two, maybe three, um, depending on the, the county, but um, it's a slow burn. You're not going to feel this 18% until you get to about year four, year five, when it's compounded a couple times. Mm-hmm. You say, oh, wow, I've got, you know, I've come out of pocket this much, but I have this much invested. Uh, and you'll realize it a little further down the road. Um, so it is a slow burn. I see. At the end of the day, how, how can individual investors overall compete against the large tax lien funds that can afford to, you know, purchase in large volume, diversify their risk, accept a lower return? Like for the little guy, do they compete just by focusing exclusively on one to two markets, focusing on smaller dollar size liens? And like, what's their so- edge? Yeah, no, that's that's a good point too. So smaller dollar size liens are definitely going to be you're going to have you're going to be way more competitive in those because again, it, it comes down to what's the most they can do with their money. If they can buy, um, you know, a hundred ten thousand dollar liens versus you know a million hundred dollar liens, whatever. I don't. But uh, they're going after those ten thousand dollar liens. So if you focus on those one to five hundred dollar liens, you're going to be more competitive in that arena. Um, Florida specifically, I'll just tell you, it it is really difficult to get a leg up. You'll make 5% on your investment, but you're going to have to bid down to a quarter of a percent interest if you want to win a tax lien in that auction. That being said, there are other states that are really attractive to someone. If you have a couple bucks, Maryland is a, they have the highest foreclosure rate in the country, really great state to invest in Maryland or DC. It kind of goes back and forth, but really great state to invest in. They do it online. They give you, uh, you know, depending on the county, up to 24% in six months. Um, the, the downside there, I guess, is that the foreclosure can be expensive, right? Because you're saying, I, I will pay 40000 for this if it goes to foreclosure. So if you have that kind of cash, Maryland could be a really good option to participate in. Um, if you are looking for property and you don't really want to spend that much money, I would look at, you know, at Arizona, Arizona or Colorado. I would buy these thousand dollar tax liens once a year. You buy a handful of them. And if one in 10 converts, then, you know, that's great. I mean, that's about the average one in 10 uh, is about the average in uh, Arizona converting to a property. So um, if you can, get $10,000 invested in the auctions into 10 different liens, then maybe you're only getting 2% interest on it or something like that. Um, but if one of those converts and that's just a, an absolute win, right? It's going to, it doesn't matter what you're earning on those other ones. You're going to get a property for back taxes. So for the price of back taxes, you mean? Yes. Got it. Um, and I assume it's that basically all States out of, out of County and out of state, 
um, like people, investors can invest across state boundaries? Are there any states or counties where there is a requirement that you actually be a resident of the state or be a resident of the county? Uh, no, not that I can think of. Um, there are some that have like, so if you want to invest in Texas, you can't owe, owe any property taxes in Texas, right? Um, there are, um, there are some laws like that. I want to say, I want to say Hawaii might have a law like that. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, they do a redemptive deed there, but they might, you might have to be a resident to invest in Hawaii or at least some areas of Hawaii. Got it. All right. Well, Phil, this has been so incredibly uh, interesting and insightful. I've really enjoyed um, uh, getting your perspective on this. This has been a topic I've, I've wanted to do for uh, a bit and uh, definitely one of those more of those niche topics. So, um, you know, so glad that uh, we could have you on the show to share your wisdom. Where can listeners find out more about you, your business, what you're up to? Um, and how can folks yeah. get in touch with you? Sure. So, uh, so I work with a website called propertyonion.com and we do one-on-one -on -one trainings. Uh, they, they focus on the Florida tax deed and foreclosure auctions. Um, they, they aggregate data for all of the auctions. They pull all the public record information and it is a really great website. So what I do there, they call me the tax deed professor. Um, uh, I don't even know what I think about the name, but, uh, they uh, really, really cool stuff that they do. And so we will do say like a four or eight week training uh, where I do one-on-one -on -one sessions with individuals for an hour. Um, we focus on either tax lien investing or tax deed or foreclosure investing. And so if it's something that you thought about dipping your toe into uh, and you may have a question about it, feel free to go over there and just make an inquiry. I'll reach out to you personally, call you and answer any questions that you have. Perfect. Well, we'll definitely link to that um, and the uh, um, uh, the content that uh, that you've created there on Property Onion. Uh, thanks so much again for taking the time to chat with me, and um, you know, best of luck with everything. My pleasure. Thanks again for having me, Andrew. Cheers. Take care. All right, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's guest interview and got a lot of value and insights from it. If you like this episode, please hit that subscribe button to get new episodes automatically sent to you. Would love for you to not miss any episodes because the Hack Your World podcast has a mix of action-packed solo shows where I walk you through specific strategies and tactics step-by-step, -step, as well as guests who share their expertise about specific areas of personal finance, and finally, profile interviews of business owners who are trying to turn their side hustles into fully financially self-sustaining passive income streams. We break down exactly what they do, how they do it, and how much they're earning. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of that great content. Also, would love if you could help me out and take 30 seconds to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a podcast review. It helps to support this podcast and it helps other people who are looking for topics like this find the podcast. And I really appreciate it if you could take a minute and just leave an honest review. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Hack Your Wealth podcast with Andrew Chen. If you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. And check out hackyourwealth.com for all our latest content.